Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. And welcome in to episode 67 of Kayfabe Council, the show where we review and critique news topics and segments in the world of professional wrestling. My name is Brady Tony, and alongside me, as always, is the good brother, TF Joker. Joker, what's crack, man? What's going on? Oh, you know, dude, it's uh, late on a Monday night. Just got back from work not too long ago, and gotta gotta talk about some pay-per-views. Gotta talk about the pay-per-views, bud. But, uh, yeah, if I close my eyes for longer than a couple of seconds, then I have fallen asleep. Go on without me. Fair play. Yeah, it's one of those where, just like with the uh, previous week, uh, we're getting a double slate for this past week. We got some a couple pay-per-views to go over. Uh, as well as a kind of big news story that some of us are semi or not at all invested in, but we'll get into that in just a quick moment. Regardless, we got a lot to go over, so it's one of those where on release day, we might be a day off of the normal thing, but it does happen every once in a while with a Sunday pay-per-view, so appreciate everybody's thing, but Joker's a little tired, I'm tired. We've got a lot to go over, so we'll keep the intro short, because I've been speaking a lot, so I'll just stop talking, and we'll kick into the show proper. As a reminder, you can find us in video form at youtube.com slash kfabecouncil, and in audio form wherever you get your podcast from. On this week's episode, we look at AEW Fires CM Punk. We're going to go over the fallout from WWE Payback. Going to go over the matches, some of our takeaways, and kind of big spots for that. And go over the fallout from AEW All Out. Once again, go over the results, share some notes, some thoughts, some takeaways from that as well. So, coming up first. Before we get into the pay per views, we had a big story break just before Collision and Payback went live, actually a couple hours just before. AEW ends up firing CM Punk. I just have the statement here from the company itself. I'll read it out here. All Elite Wrestling, AEW has terminated the wrestler and employment agreements between Philip Brooks, CM Punk, and AEW with cause. Effective immediately. The termination was confirmed today by Tony Khan, CEO, general manager, and head of creative of AEW. The termination follows a week long internal investigation of an incident occurring backstage at AEW All in London on Saturday, August 27. Following the investigation, the AEW Discipline Committee met and later convened with outside legal counsel before making a unanimous recommendation to Khan that CM Punk be terminated with cause. AEW President Tony Khan also issued the following statement, quote, Phil played an important role within AEW and I thank him for his contributions. The termination of his AEW contracts with cause is ultimately my decision and mine alone. Of course, I wish I didn't have to share this news, which may come as a disappointment to many of our fans. Nevertheless, I am making the decision in the best interests of many amazing people who make AEW possible every week. Our talent, staff, venue operators, and many others whose efforts are unsung but essentially 
are essential to bringing our fans great shows on television and at arenas and stadiums throughout the world. End quote. So this was just announced, like I had mentioned, just before AEW Collision as well as WWE Payback. So big news on there. I know there's varying degrees and kind of hot button topics and everyone has an opinion here. For me, after reading the statement, I was just curious and I wasn't as versed. So I wanted to look up what with cause is. So just a brief definition because it made it a point to mention it a couple times there. So what is basically termination with cause? When an employee is terminated for cause, it means that they are being let go from their position due to their own actions or behavior. When an employee's behavior or performance is unacceptable and violates company policy, they may be terminated for cause. Employees who are terminated for cause usually do not receive severance pay or unemployment benefits. And then just a little note here for context. When an employee is terminated for cause, it means that the employee has done something that is grounds for immediate dismissal from their job. Uh, they are usually two steps to terminating an employee for cause. First, the employer needs to investigate the allegations against the employee. And then second, the employer needs to hold a meeting with the employee to discuss the findings of the investigation and give them a chance to explain their side of the story. If after hearing the employee's explanation, the employer still believes that termination is warranted, then they will proceed with terminating the employee. All right, so kind of real cut and dry with the notation of with cause. It's essentially the person's own actions that cause them to be let go. One final note here, Tony Khan opened Collision with a statement addressing the news here. Quote, Today I had to make one of the toughest decisions of my professional career. Today I terminated Phil Brooks, CM Punk for cause. This stems from a backstage incident at AW All-In last Sunday. The incident was regrettable and it endangered people backstage. That includes the production staff, people who help put the show on every week, innocent people who had nothing to do with it. I've been going to wrestling shows for over 30 years. I've been producing them on this network for nearly four years. Never in all that time have I ever felt, until last Sunday, that my security, my safety, my life was in danger at a wrestling show. I don't think anybody should feel that way at work. I don't think the people I work with should feel that way and I had to make a very difficult choice today. It came at the recommendation of a discipline committee here at AEW, as well as outside legal counsel who delivered a unanimous recommendation. And I have followed up on that recommendation. I'm sorry to any fans who were upset by this. I'm sorry to anyone who's upset by this. All right. Quite interesting. Big news that dropped, obviously, when... You let someone go from a job it's not always announced it is what it is in the nature of a high profile sport sometimes it gets sensationalized which there was a lot of conjecture and back and forth from folks on the social medias is what it is when anything happens um you know there is a lot of opinions to be made i'm only going to ask joker one question and uh, I'll feel free to 
answer however you like, sir. Obviously, we just mentioned the uh, dismissal of CM Punk here. There was another high-profile talent that left AEW about a year and a half ago in the name of Cody Rhodes. Although under different circumstances and different uh, situations themselves, uh, both men sort of had a bit of difficulty or a little tension towards the end of their runs. But both handled it in different manners and both had different sort of relationships in there. Uh, Joker, would you say that's a fair piece of two different ways to sort of handle a possible exit from a company? We're talking about um, my favorite wrestler currently and a guy who has steered the public eye towards him after three pay-per-views in a single week. So I think with Cody Rhodes working out uh, his tenure at AEW uh, without a contract, he was working week to week, is in a much better standpoint for a person to leave a company. He left in good stead compared to the guy who was let go because he had a hissy fit like he has done several times before. So no, this guy who has recently been fired, the name beneath me, I refuse to say it because he's an absolute toolbag. Um no, I I think I think Cody Rhodes, regardless of any tensions or or issues he had left in a much better uh much better way than somebody getting thrown out the door because they could knock right i think that's a fair statement like i mentioned posing the question to different situations although it was handled the exit themselves uh, very differently so just wanted to get that out of the way much like joker just stated something of a Hot button lightning rod that Mr. Charles Montgomery Punk is did to an extent overshadow three pay per views in a seven day period, which we don't get often, if ever at all, that sort of has been taking over the landscape. So, be that as it may, we just wanted to share that, get everybody up to speed. That's where we're at with the situation. So, if you have any thoughts down and opinions there, let us know down in the comment section below on YouTube or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram. Let us know what your thoughts are on AW parting ways with CM Punk. All right, switching gears now that we got the news portion out of the way, we're going to look at the first of the pay-per-views that happened this past weekend. Fallout from WWE Payback. This, of course, happened on the Saturday night before the All Out pay-per-view. So we'll go over that first. Pay-per-view opened with Trish Stratus and Becky Lynch fighting off in a steel cage. Honestly, just very hard-hitting affair. It was one of those where I believe they mentioned on commentary Trish had never been in a steel cage match. 
She had a varying degree of other styles of matches, but she had never been in a steel cage. I uh, made note of the photos after the fact, especially of the ones of Trish just looking very gnarly, black and blues, had a bit of, yeah, of a, of a knot or a just contusion of sorts on her, in the middle of her forehead. I think even Corey Graves perhaps made a mention that you had a almost a third eye kind of deal looking. But yeah, it was one of those. It's just crazy uh, reactions from the crowd. So overall, just solid match. It appears to be the end of the feud, at least for the moment. Becky perhaps having a match with NXT Women's Champion Tiffany Stratton and a little bit of dissension towards the end may lead to Trish Hinting at a match with Zoe Stark. Joker, what were your impressions or thoughts from that match? Uh, nothing much more than what you said there. Hard-hitting, good match. Uh, yeah, um, the only other... Uh, or the first women's match that they mentioned about it being in a cage was Lita versus Victoria, I believe, uh, way back in the day. Um, and yeah, this, this being Trish Stratus's first cage match was a bit surprising. I really only have one gripe about this like I, I liked the match i thought it was your typical steel cage match you know the the tensions i thought that they they'd done this really really well um and it's not because he was in the uh he was in the pay-per-view in the premium live event but john cena turned up during this match i don't know if you saw him or not it might have been a little bit difficult to see him but when becky lynch took on two individuals inside the steel cage she channeled the energy of John Cena. I hate when they do this. It's it's a gripe that, you know, I have attributed to one person only, and that is Bianca Belair so far. But now Becky Lynch has been um, guilty of it now as well. On a PLE, stop having people win matches by beating two of your stars. Because, quite frankly, it does nothing for the two people that they beat. And after that hard-hitting match, the fact that Becky Lynch could beat a fresh Zoe Stark means that Trish Stratus had zero offense. Like, I'm sorry, it, it, it deflated the end of this really good match for me. 20 minutes, I'm happy it was there. Yeah, the end of this, uh, the end of this, um, this feud, fine. Um, I'm not interested in Tiffany Stratton at all. She does exactly look like a, a wannabe Barbie, like um, like uh, Becky was was sort of alluding to. Uh, I am more interested in the Trish and Zoe Stark match because they have been trying to build Zoe. But um, let's see how far that goes now that John Cena got involved. Channeling of the man who cannot be seen, of course, overcoming the odds itself. So. Good to see a strong match where, fingers crossed, hopefully ended the feud like we said. There'd been a little bit of contention. Even, I think, Becky had mentioned it too, that this feud itself seemed to drag on. But nonetheless, mm. it looks like a solid ending point where both women can deviate and go on to what's next for them. It should have finished at SummerSlam. It should have finished then. This is the match we should have got, but not cut from the card to make extra time for the hour-long, terrible match that we got between Roman and Jay. Like, there could have been 40 minutes cut from that match for all I cared, and we could have had this match then. But no, we had to wait. It would have, uh, would have done better a month earlier. 
We got to prop up the other pay-per-views, brother. So we got a marquee matchup here stated in fact. All right. Afterwards, we got Mr. Jonathan Chenna winds up giving a promo. Got a sort of raw light over here. And then we have him announced as the special guest referee for the LA Knight and Miz match. Of course, with LA Knight coming away with the wind, we get a little bit of a standoff at the ramp. And Mr. Cena raises the hand of LA Knight. Not quite a passing of a torch, but a little bit of an endorsement. So love to see it. We also get the United States Championship match where we see Rey Mysterio defeats and retains over Austin Theory. Uh, nothing kind of crazy happened in there, really, per se. This is actually the shortest match on the card, just a hair under 10 minutes, but we saw Rey Mysterio retain. Then switching gears to the Steel City Street Fight, just all over the place, the plunder. Uh, Sammy and KO love the nice little touch because they were in Pittsburgh at the home of the Pittsburgh Penguins. They went to the penalty box and got dressed up with some <sighs> lovely hockey jerseys and uh, the gloves and the sticks a la Lemieux as well as Crosby and decided to beat the ever-loving tar out of the lads themselves, Mr. Damian Priest and Finn Balor. Uh, KO with the crazy Jeff Hardy owed with Swanton off of the stands, the grandstand itself, uh, on to, I believe it was uh, Finn, if I'm not mistaken, Joker, feel free to correct me if I was, uh, but Finn on a table itself. I think it was Finn. I think it was I Finn. Might, I'm now beginning to think it might have been, um, it might have been Dominic, but uh, it probably was Finn. Okay. Because Dominic got involved. Oh, absolutely. So I made note here, Sammy and KO overcoming a five-on-two disadvantage from the entirety of Judgment Day and the addition of J.D. McDonough, but we end up having new champions as Judgment Day, Finn Balor, and Damian Priest get the win. All of Judgment Day, the image themselves of holding titles, what a look for the faction, geez, what a push. This is how you do an outnumbering, by the way. You have them lose. Now, anybody that comes up against the Judgment Day, you know, you're going to have that sort of, uh, we're, we're, we're tough guys and, you know, we're, we're going to try and beat the Judgment Day, but the Judgment Day invariably wins. I really enjoyed this. I'm not a hockey guy. I, you know, the, the only thing I know about Pittsburgh is the Steelers from NFL. So I'm just like, okay, cool. Um, I, I have no idea the Penguins, but seeing those two pop up, Sammy and uh, KO pop up in the jerseys. And everybody freaking out and hearing Corey freak out because, of course, he's from Pittsburgh. Um, and him freaking out about who these guys are. And then them just whacking the sticks. You know, I've seen Mighty Ducks. You know, I'm, a, I'm a hockey nerd. <laughs> uh, so, like, seeing them use the sticks as well. Like, uh, I think even Michael Cole's like, I went to a fight and a hockey match broke out. Like, uh, a little bit of a play on, on the usual. Uh, but I thought this was a fun sort of match this was definitely probably more worthy of the terry funk hardcore rules moniker than the one we got the previous week on smackdown um because at least there was was some violence even uh, even a little bit of color um so yeah but this was this was fun and i'm holding out hope that we do something with the tag titles now 
because they have swapped hands, they sort of um, lost momentum around the time of changing the titles. And we lost the ability to maybe split these tag titles. Um, I'm hoping that Judgment Day, sort of because they were on Monday Night Raw, uh, they will um, they will sort of maneuver themselves into having one singular pair of belts. Either that, or they're going to possibly get into feuds with other people on SmackDown. I don't know. Maybe that'll keep it fresh. But uh, other than that, it's still a fun match, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, probably one of the bigger and more engaging and fun matches of the night, per se. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, that image of all of the members of Judgment Day holding titles themselves, and that's a really good point of seeing maybe where they go. I could see, honestly, WWE holding off on changing over the Raw and SmackDown titles at the moment, at least in the immediate interim, because that would give them cause to have Judgment Day appear on both Raw and SmackDown as a little bit of an in, because uh, Judgment Day has been sort of their marquee faction, because, uh, you know, we have some Bloodline segments every once in a while, but they've been really pushing, and honestly, I mean, doesn't act like the brand split is a hard case we've been seeing the Miz and LA Knight been showing up on both shows anyway in yeah. recent weeks. So I mean I, I sort of I sort of get that idea, but I think that idea would have been better suited when the bloodline was stronger because I would have liked to have seen the Judgment Day versus strong bloodline as opposed to the Judgment Day going over and losing to a weakened bloodline because there's no way Roman Reigns is going to um is going to be anywhere near uh, Finn or Damien and lose. So those would be pointless matches in my opinion, which is obviously why we don't have Roman on the on the books for the next PLEs. But um, maybe it'll give Damien an in to threaten with the threaten with the 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 briefcase, and then that'll false sense of security against the uh, world heavyweight champion, whoever that might be. Um, and uh, you know maybe he can win that one instead. Yeah, you'd mentioned there had been a little bit of momentum just after Sammy and Kay won the belts where they were doing kind of open challenges and they were having a bit more defenses. Uh, the nature of Sammy and or KO being a little bit of banged up in the recent weeks slash month have slowed that process down, so we haven't really been seeing them defending, uh, even even defending regularly. So maybe that could change. Maybe that could be a little piece and the final note that I'll make up, uh, excuse me, that I'll share here is that, yeah, I mean, even with Sammy and KO losing the match themselves, they had to overcome a five-on-two disadvantage. So it's not like they're buried. You know, they just, they fought and fought and fought, much like a KO t-shirt. Um, but yeah, it's one of those that they just couldn't overcome the onslaught itself, the overwhelming odds. So not necessarily buried, they still kind of look strong in defeat, and we'll see maybe where they go from here. We switch gears to A. This must be Raw, or this must be SmackDown, because we're getting a Grison Walla effect. We're getting a talk show segment featuring the American Nightmare Cody Rhodes. Honestly, this was a little weird, because I get we want to get the, uh, the rub ski for both of each other's, if I can be a little heel for a second. But we had Cody on there for, I think, about maybe four or five minutes and then announced that Jay Uso 
has returned to WWE and is a part of the Raw roster. I found it an interesting note, and I want to get your opinion on this, uh, Joker, because Cody Rhodes is... You're a big Cody Rhodes guy. He used the nomenclature, and I'm paraphrasing, I used all my political sway and uh, pull, essentially, to get Jay back into WWE and part of Raw. So uh, maybe what were your... What were your thoughts on maybe that that phrasing and maybe just the segment in general? I thought the segment was fun. I thought I, th- I always like Grayson Waller effect. Um, I think Grayson Waller is probably the best show host um, in WWE uh, today and in the last while. I used to like Miz TV, but eh, you know, Grayson Waller is better. I think I feel like he's more skeevy. Um, and just kind of gets the ability to be a um, a sort of talk show host. That being said, with what Cody said, I I sort of I sort of got it, and I sort of didn't. I I I didn't mind the witting, heavily air quoted by the way, of Jay Uso. It led all the marks going, "Oh my goodness, Jay Uso to AEW, please." Um, which which was actually on the uh, the timeline, and um, then you know for him to turn up at Raw, which was obviously getting him away from his brother and from his cousin. Uh, I, I I thought it was fine. Uh, it kind of also gives Cody a reason to be linked to the bloodline, and for WrestleMania next year, WrestleMania forty. The confirmation is all but, you know, stated publicly that it will be Cody versus Roman main eventing, most likely night two, for that universal, undisputed, heavyweight, ultra cool gold belt championship, with Jay being on Raw now. Because it gives the bloodline a reason to chase Jay. And who will be there to help him? His new friend Cody Rhodes. Will they will start to think about Jay being corrupted by Cody Rhodes or something like this here. And, you know, it's all Cody Rhodes' fault and then Cody Rhodes versus Roman at WrestleMania. That's, you know, sitting thinking on it, that was sort of my idea as a loose bare bones idea as to how they might possibly spin this. His his use of the terms, you know, I had to use all my political pool sway, whatever he said uh, to get this. I thought it was... I thought it was, you know, tongue in cheek, kind of funny, um, but it was. It wasn't until that we saw Cody's stern face when he was down the rampway, uh, looking back at uh, at Jay and Grayson, that uh, you could see the cogs are spinning. This is my way to get back to Roman. So yeah, he didn't do it for Jay. He did it for himself, and um, honestly, I think it was pretty fun. Did it for himself. What a heel. <laughs> no 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 he's a forward thinking baby face he's looking towards the future getting get, getting his way back into the, the title picture because he doesn't want the belt that he's on the, the brand with couple takeaways for me from the segment uh, Jay just looking real good uh, obviously he's been getting his uh, physique and just uh, cardio and everything and, and well in order and he looked great on this night love the fact that he got to keep the uso style uh, theme song because it fits kind of with his vibe 
of uh, playing into the crowd. I mean, he got on the ropes and he was, uh, you know, uh, bouncing up and down with his hands and, and the crowd was reciprocating. I mean, that was a fantastic visual. I mean, you love the crowd interaction. You love that, that visual there. And they changed up the song a little bit. I think they took the Jimmy uh, vocals, yeah, the did, Jimmy yeah. lines out, and he's like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm the only one, oos, and kind of thing. But I still like that he was able to uh, flip the script, if you will, and uh, keep that. So it, it works very well. I really like that, too. It was definitely one of those things that you look at and you go, oh, it's a recognizable sort of thing. Oh, wait, there's a little bit of a difference. Because I like, I like the you know, day one-ish song. Like, I, I really liked their theme. I thought the Usos have a, a definitive sort of song that, you know, while not Alter Bridge or something, is uh, is still pretty cool because they did the rapping, they did the the singing, whatever you want to whatever you want to call it, and um, to have that change gives us the definitive split because nine times out of ten, whenever you see these kinds of pseudo splits. It's like, oh, it's not permanent. They're still using the same theme song, but this one's changed. So they're definitely playing into that, and I like that from a from a story point. Yeah, it's a fair play. Myself, as a side note, big Alter Bridge fan, huge Miles Kennedy fan, been a fan since about two thousand three, two thousand four. Uh, so dig those songs. Either way, I'm not trying to you not not trying to attack Alter Bridge here. No, it's all good. I was just sharing a little something about myself. Uh, but yeah, just a couple things in my mind. There have been uh, notions of having a Jay versus Jimmy, uh, and there were thoughts on maybe when that could happen. Some folks have said we should wait till Mania, perhaps. But with them definitively being a part, and even I mentioned that, and I think you said as well, like if they're if they're maybe on the same brand or together, then you kind of have to. There's no reason not to have the match, but them on a different brand can help them eventually circle back or something happens and then you can have that sort of time frame so i mean that's a that's a ploy to at least position and time it well and then ultimately your notion of this is an in for cody with the bloodline uh, perhaps i mean there's been murmurings uh both from potentially the fed as well as from social media that they want to set up cody and roman 2 at wrestlemania 40 i was I'm not mistaken if I was doing the math for Roman to beat Hogan's mark of just days holding the title, he would need to surpass WrestleMania 40. So who knows? I mean, it's one of those that I think even Roman and or Paul Heyman have stated when Roman's ready, he will let the Fed know that he is done. They put it on the next person type of thing, whether I'm paraphrasing, of course, but be that as it may, I think that was a Paul Heyman interview and Paul Heyman statement. Be that as it mine. But with that as it may, I mean, could it possibly lead to the rematch at consecutive WrestleManias? We've seen that a handful of times, less than a handful of times. Obviously, it harkens back to most prominently a Bret Hart and Yokozuna from 93 and 94's WrestleManias, uh, 9 and 10, just off the top of my head. But be that as it may, could be an end. Could it gives them the smallest of small avenues to potentially have that story play? So seed planting from a little bit of a talk show segment on a not the greatest prominent pay per view gives them an end. So if only it's good for the uh, video package format. If we do land on that match. 
All right, the next portion we're going to look at here. Rhea Ripley ends up defeating Raquel Rodriguez for the Women's World Championship. Hard-hitting affair. It's one of those where it's not often Rhea Ripley has to face off an opponent that is almost equal or slightly bigger than her. So just power moves, uh, close lines. It was kind of nice to see a different style of match from Rhea. How many times have we seen almost a squash or a squash and just mostly her dominating? So a little bit different flavor of the ice cream here, so I wasn't mad at it. I thought it was just a fun and engaging match, honestly, but a little sadly predictable, if I may say. Is that fair to say, Joker? Oh yeah, 100%. Raquel Rodriguez, um, or as a slip of the tongue from uh, Corey Graves Gonzalez, um, in the match, I'm not, I'm not a fan of how she's packaged. Um, I don't like Big Back Rodriguez, uh, this, this constant posing. Uh, just, I feel like she needs to be up up I don't want to really have to have a carbon copy, but uh, a sort of pseudo copy of Mommy in terms of they both need to be behemoths in this division. Um because this match was was really fun um for for a good portion of it. Uh you don't often see uh, Rhea Ripley getting to show her power moves over and over and over again. It's always okay. I'm going to have to take a head scissors and take a hurricane rana. I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to have to take all of these flippy dippy moves uh, from people who are smaller than me. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Like Zelina Vega is a tiny person compared to Raquel Rodriguez um, and all these other like EO skies. And, you know, they're all much smaller than Rhea Ripley. And whenever you Whenever you watch a Rhea Ripley versus smaller person fight, they invariably just have this instance where Rhea will par through. Like we had uh, Rhea's submission maneuver where she just holds up. Like normally with a smaller person, she'll hold them up in the air, them unable to, uh, unable to touch the ground. Raquel here was able to touch the ground and, you know, viably within the confines of the match, you know, support herself and ease off the intended pain of the maneuver. It, it makes sense. And it was a lot of fun. You know, it makes sense. And when those things happen, it's, it's good to see how that big brawny character like Mommy is, is going to evolve in the match. And I really like the, the, the touch of the, the sort of the China-esque uh, gear that uh, Rhea Ripley was wearing. It was a nice touch. Um, I, th I think that this was obviously, yes, like you said, predictable uh, because Rhea Ripley has a chokehold on that division and I don't think she should let go anytime soon. It's a fair observation. Yeah, and I was, I was reminded of the when you were talking about the submission, that inverted clover leaf that she locked yes. him up with. Yes, okay. That was uh, it came to me while you were uh, while you were responding. So all good. Yeah, it was one of those, like I said, a little bit different style of match. Uh, and it reminded me myself of uh, Nijax previously, who used to have just a lot of big versus small matches, just kind of the nature of the case. Uh, but Rhea was able to have a different style of match and show a different sort of athleticism than Naya would maybe have uh, against maybe uh, the opponents themselves. So again, different wrestlers, but it was good to see the variety. Uh, they, Raquel and Rhea, 
uh, previously spent a lot of time together in, in NXT and other places. So you'd love to see, much like a Bretton and Owen, when two people want to uh, sell and uh, put on a good match for each other, you can get a solid performance here. So great to see that. Bunch of good sisters just going at it on a pay-per-view. And once again, Rhea came out with the victory. And the last match on the card, Seth Rollins taking on uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. I did like the video package, a nice little comic book style, just recapping kind of where they're at and Shinsuke's point of view and where Seth is with sort of the back injury itself. Uh, just high impact offense. Uh, obviously, the notion of the story of the match itself was Shinsuke targeting the back. But yeah, a little bit of a interesting finishing sequence that had the the lads in a submission attempt and then kind of Seth just sort of wriggling out and then hits the stomp and yeah that was it got the one two three I did like the nice little added touch of Shinsuke tried to kind of get the shoulder up but just kind of couldn't he was trying to reach for the ropes type of thing but he was just too out of it and the effects of the stomp itself so other than that thought it was just a, another just fun engaging match with Seth coming out on top and retaining I went back and forth. I honestly thought Shinsuke could win this. Um, I would have really liked Shinsuke to win this. This was Shinsuke's very first main event in a PLE for for World Heavyweight Championship. Like this is the, apparently this is his first main event in in this, and you're just like, yeah, okay, cool. He's he's had like big matches with like AJ Styles and stuff for titles before, but. I've never been the premium main event. And which is funny because the last few PLEs have had multiple main events. I wonder why this one didn't have four or five as well on a six match card. Um but I I just really liked the the sort of jeopardy the boys instilled in this. Because yes, Seth, we we've known for months now that Seth has this 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 fracture in his lumbar spine, and it's one of those that every time you hear it, you go, "That that sounds like it could be painful." And yeah, like the lumbar spine having a fracture there sounds like it definitely would be. And seeing the dissection from Shinsuke to the lower back of uh, of Seth Rollins was brutal fun and interesting to watch and there were a few instances where the 2.99 putting uh, Excalibur ad infinitum um that we could have had like there, there was there was some interesting points in this match and um I'm not sure the right man won yeah they tried to plant seeds of doubt much like you said is a really good thing for storytelling or for a match themselves that could Shinsuke because Seth is Got a, a bullseye target on his back. Could he possibly come away with a win? It gives Seth an out because he's, you know, injured and he can have some time off. But they decided to keep the belt on Seth. So, I mean, it's one of those where I could see it going either way uh, from how it ended up. Seth obviously retained. It'd be a nice little twist of the play to have Shinsuke actually be the world champion. I mean, I, I wouldn't be mad at it. I just would like to see them elevate and give him a, a nice proper run, perhaps. So, yeah, I mean, we ended up with what we got. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, after the show went off the air, Shinsuke did a uh, attack on Seth post-match. So, 
it was one of those where we end up kind of continuing, perhaps. We might get a little bit of a rematch. We might get some context added on a Monday Night Raw or going forward. But yeah, I wouldn't be mad with maybe seeing another match or maybe we'll see who Seth faces next. Seth is is in that coveted position of World Heavyweight Champion and he is also in the coveted position of man who has a lot of trilogies. So uh, do not rule out more Shinsuke um, main events with Seth for this title. Quite the possibility. So there we go. That was a WWE Payback. Those were our thoughts and our impressions. Let us know down in the comment section below on YouTube and or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and let us know what your thoughts were from WWE Payback. Maybe what your favorite match or segment was, and did your favorites win their matches? All right, switching gears here to the next pay-per-view, the next day on Sunday. So back-to-back days, we had AEW All Out from Chicago, a very loaded card. We got 13 matches on this bad boy here, uh, just starting with the zero-hour Hangman Adam Page making a shocking uh, surprise entrance here into the over-budget charity battle royale and subsequently winning here. Made note that he won $50,000 and put it towards the Chicago Public Education Fund. So nice little switch up of the over-the-budget battle royale and put it for charity. We also saw on the pre-show the babyface team of Hikaru Shida, Willow Nightingale, and Sky Blue defeated Athena, Mercedes Martinez, and Diamante. Of course, with Sky Blue, the hometown girl getting the uh, pinfall win there. And the zero-hour pre-show main event. We saw the acclaimed uh, Anthony Bowens and Max Caster alongside Father But Himself. Daddy Ass Billy Gunn, also known collectively as the House of Ass, defeated Jeff Jarrett, Satnam Singh, and Jay Lethal. Nice little bit of ska there. Dennis Rodman, who appeared on the previous night's collision, of course, with them being in Chicago, was in their corner, had a little bit of an interesting thing at the end. He got involved, used the guitar, and stayed in the ring. Aubrey Edwards letting that go, but they ultimately get the win and retain their new and customized AW World Trios Championship. Nobody tells, nobody tells what Rodzilla what to do, dude. Like he, I, I'm pretty sure he missed his mark to get into the ring. <laughs> like he was slow to get in, and he was just like, "Nah, bro, I don't want to get out." What do you mean? Like, the match is almost over. I don't want to get out. Like I know the ending. Like this means at the end, like. No, there's no point in me to get out to get back in. I thought I, I thought this 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 zero R was fun. Uh, nice touch with Hangman. Nice nice little charity battle royale. Um, and uh, the House of Ass. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of that name. Not like I love the acclaimed, but I I just I I like the House of Black. Okay. Let's not sort of riff on the original perpetrators of the house name. You know, the house of the house of black. Let's keep them unique. I, I as much as I love Anthony Bowens and Max Caster, 
let's not employ this house of ass because everybody's going to use it. And then the house of black will just be like, right, well, we've got to change our name now. So, yeah, it's a little thing. It's still fun. You know, I don't, I don't want to be sitting here like, oh, the guy that doesn't like fun because I think it is funny. But I rolled my eyes whenever I saw that they, they tried. To, yeah, I think that they have filed to trademark House of Ass um, or at least done something with that title. Um, yeah, I don't know about that. But still, fun. Fun Zero War. Yeah, it was one of those. It was a off-the-cuff segment in their celebration piece, and uh, I just wanted to get it over on the show. I didn't realize that they were maybe trying to make this a thing, but I saw a tweet. Not a, like I'm not a hundred percent. I did see a tweet. I'm pretty sure it was from an AEW account, but that's why I'm saying I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah, let's let's not. Airplay. So yeah, let's. Uh, nothing wrong with the House of Black. It's very unique. It sets itself apart. Kind of have a thing. So thanks to be seen. But yeah, I just wanted wanted to softball it in there. So there we go. Alright, on to the main show itself. We opened with the ROH Tag Team Title Championship match. As we see Better Than You, Bay Bay, Adam Cole, and MJF taking on the Dark Orders, Alex Reynolds, and John Silver. A bit of the story of the match here was MJF coming in banged up with uh, his neck being injured. Of course, this is coming off the heels of Adam Cole and MJF's main event match at All in London. Obviously, Adam Cole targeting the neck with a lot of his offense and things of such. But we see here, at least MJF starting the match and kind of going that. But at one point, he uh, has to be taken away. And Adam Cole is fighting solos. See a little bit of the baby face side as the team tries to get some sympathy from the crowd. Obviously, MJF selling the neck and MJF being taken away there. But we end up seeing him after M. After Adam Cole, excuse me, fights off quite a bit of the Dark Order's offense, makes the surprise return. Huge baby face pop. We have the camera on the ring itself, and then we hear the crowd explode and cut to the ramp and MJF fighting off of the officials and the security. No, I want back in. Comes back in. We end up having them just win the match, essentially. So it was uh, nice to kind of see that, of course. At the end of the match, we see even though MJF was able to fire up and be able to help the uh, the match, huge baby face fire, by the way. So we get a nice little callback here with MJF making his way up the ramp. And of course, the show's got to keep going on, brother. So Samoa Joe is making his entrance for his match, which is coming up next. And Joe gives him a nice little stiff arm as he was going down the ramp. Of course, MJF getting... A little peeved, if you say that you will. And this was a nice little callback to NXT TakeOver Brooklyn, where Samoa Joe was making his entrance from the backstage area. MJF played the role of a security guard, and Joe gave him a nice little stiff arm. So the continuity in the entire wrestling sphere is nice little there. Uh, but yeah, MJF getting super angry and actually comes after Samoa Joe. Uh, and had to be broken up by security and AEW officials to keep Max okay and not injured, to keep the show going, to get the next match going. This is something I realized I didn't know I wanted was Samoa Joe and MJF. 
Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that sounds like it could be a lot of fun um, as soon as... Because uh, I looked away. I looked away at this point in time. I heard Joe's music. I was like, cool, they're going to walk around. I was doing something else on my other monitor while I was watching this morning. And I had to go back because they, they, they made mention. It's like, oh, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. And um, I was like, ah. Oh, it's a bit of a bit of a callback to whenever he did this he did the um the takeover entrance. It's like that's really fun. Oh, we're actually he he's he's going to you know run into the ring. Okay, cool. I hope he doesn't get suspended for this indefinitely. Um or you know fired because the last champion did. Um and it was it was funny to see MJF sort of run into the ring and try and beat up Joe and and everybody just sort of getting in the way and Joe just kind of laughing his head off. Um, yeah, I thought it was fun. It's nice and like you said, it's something that I didn't know that I wanted, but I sure as heck want it now. Although I don't want it to be title for title because I kind of like both of them being champions, so. I'm hoping it's after Joe has crested the record of, of longest reigning Ring of Honor World Television Champion and then loses it, so then goes after because he needs a new belt. So, there we go. Hopefully that'll happen. Yeah, so, quite intriguing. And I thought it was an okay placement looking back at how the rest of the show panned out to have MGF and Adam Cole sort of open. You have that kind of bookend. Uh, piece with the also the world champion being in the opening match but it's for his tag team championships um yeah i thought honestly match was match was good it's high athletic uh you can't sometimes sleep on alex reynolds and john silver they also uh, are athletic themselves and just put on an entertaining match so yeah but we to be fair a predictable winner there and like i said i think that's a fair point in terms of a possible Samoa Joe and MJF match. Uh, I'd love to see it, but yeah, I think it's one of those where maybe if it's after the title reign record for Joe, and then maybe after he drops it to somebody else, because I don't want to necessarily see Joe lose. Uh, we, we did come off of all in. He took a loss there in uh, in another match. So, you know, in terms of high profile matches, I don't want to see him constantly lose. I'm a Joe fan, but regardless, I still want to see the match. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Joe's gonna big Joe's gonna kill some more people. You know, Joe's gonna kill you chance ringing out here and you effed up chance. Um, I honestly think some old Joe goes into that match killer. And MJF squeaks a win if it's for the if it's for the AW title, but it's definitely going to be after uh, Joe has dropped that uh, Ring of Honor World uh, Television Championship that he currently has, um, because I feel like he is not the one that cares. Like as we know, Joe, he is the king of television. He doesn't need any other belt. He is the king of television. It's not in his character. But possibly this new babyface MJF may take umbrage uh, towards this, uh, towards Samoa Joe. We might see something like him challenging Joe, which is substantially out of character. Um, but I definitely uh, enjoyed it. 
I was about to get into a fan theory of, of MJF's neck, but then I, I stopped myself. So I'll save that for another time. Fair play. All right, so we see the next match, as we alluded to, Samoa Joe taking on Shane Taylor for the Ring of Honor World Television Championship. Uh, for those that haven't seen Shane Taylor, just big, beefy boy, he was a another Ring of Honor World Television uh, Championship holder uh, and put some prominence on there. But yeah, just two big old boys, and we'll get into that in a moment of other big, beefy boys. But yeah, just a hard-hitting affair, Joe coming away with the win here. Moving on to the next match, the AEW, excuse me, TNT Championship, Luchasaurus taking on Darby Allen. This was another heel of a big man versus a little man, but it had a little bit different twist because we have the sort of daredevil nature of Darby Allen come into play. Just, just brutal offense from that. Darby getting some color. Uh, and then, of course, the Christian element as well as the Nick Wayne piece. So even though Darby was taking a lot of brutal offense, Christian psychologically coming into play, perhaps targeting Nick Wayne. But we ultimately see Luchasaurus just pulverizing Darby Allen at the end, coming away with the win and retaining Christian possibly attempting to hit a concerto, but I like the nice little touch of the AEW roster. Just be like, no, we're not letting you destroy these two young kids and we're going to stand up uh, to you. Whether that leads to anything, be that as it may, but possibly a lot of those folks might have some father issues for Christian to talk about. It's definitely going to be one of those things. Christian Cage is a fiend right now with the, uh, with, Asking, you know, at the at the all out uh, press conference, well, how's everybody's fathers doing today? Um, he he is an absolute menace to society, and I love it. Um, I don't, I don't think he actually has anyone lined up, like anywhere near the TNT title scene. Now that Darby Allen is out of the way, uh, Darby should not be going after this belt again for a little while yet. Um. Possibly Nick Wayne will will want to. Maybe they'll enter into some sort of tag team shtick, you know, with uh, with Darby and his dad. Now that Darby and his son can, um, his son can maybe also enter the tag team tag teams, or maybe we'll see uh, Darby and with his dad and with his son uh, enter the trios. You'll never know. Um, yeah, this was a fun match. Uh, I, I liked actually seeing Luchasaurus do something. Uh, which was fun. A little bit long than I, uh, longer than I thought it was going to be. It's about twelve minutes ish, um, and I think that might have been the, one of the longest Luchasaurus matches ever. Yeah, it's one of those where he's quite the imposing figure in Agile as well, so he can do a lot more than maybe your standard kind of big man uh, from like the '80s type of match. But yeah, I'm wondering where the TNT title goes from here. Feel like it's a running theme that we're constantly just like all right well does it need to be built up does these things so maybe we'll kind of see what the next challenger might be but yeah i think maybe darby had his chance unfortunately he did not win and we can see another challenger going forward the next matchup perhaps the most fun matchup from aew all out miro taking on powerhouse hobbs course there was a lot of fan engagement shall we say in this one during said match excalibur on commentary makes the comment of 
Two meaty men slapping meat. An incredible line from the incomparable Biggie, Biggie Langston. But we get into probably, like I said, the most fun and engaging match. We get incredible crowd chants, such as slap that meat. We get meat chants whenever each competitor strikes their opponent. We also get a meat forever chant. And towards the end, we get a holy meat chant. Oh my god. Fantastic. Uh, Biggie is not a proponent. He doesn't necessarily want to see five star matches. He just wants to see, like he's mentioned, big meaty men slapping meat. And to be fair, I think we were absolutely given that in this match. Oh, we've I've I've used that quote to death. I love big meaty men slapping meat in this uh, in this match. It took me a second to realize what the crowd was doing, what they were chanting. Uh, and uh, I, I find myself involuntarily laughing and joining in as there was a meet as there was, the boys were slapping each other. Um, like, like we had Samoa Joe versus Shane Taylor was was not a small man match. Like that was not a flippy dippy match. That was not. That was another hard hitting, brutal match. And these boys, Miro and Powerhouse Hobbs, I love them. Uh, they uh, they also you know, clasp hands at the end in that in that uh, in that iconic pose. And um, yeah, I thought that the crowd engagement was 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 amazing with this. Um, there was one more sort of uh, there was one more sort of phrase uttered in the next segment though that I just thought was the was the boys in the crowd just taking the absolute mick out of everybody, um, and it was just beat that meat. I'm like, mm, yes, yes, highbrow. We're watching some highbrow entertainment here, individuals. Good, good job. Yeah, so we end up seeing with those big meaty men slap and meet, ultimately Miro comes away with the win uh, via submission with the accolade. Of course, we get that nice little uh, clasp hands, perhaps an homage to a Carl Weathers, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you son of a bee. But it was a cool visual. And then ultimately... We have Powerhouse Hobbs, a bit of a sore loser, post-match attacks Miro. But who do we see making their AEW debut to make the save? None other than CJ Perry, formerly known as Lana in the WWE. For those that aren't aware, that would be Miro's real-life wife. Comes in to make the save, grabs a chair, strikes Powerhouse Hobbs to get him off. Miro comes in to take over ultimately sees CJ in the ring and screams that she's not real. So, and we're left fading to black on that. So, and the guys the guys in the crowd already thought that she was real though. Like they're chanting beat that meat and I I thought it was kind of funny. Um I I I didn't get this. Uh I'm going to have to wait for the continuation of this story from Miro. He has forsaken her or whatever he he said in his tweet earlier on. Um and uh yeah, a little bit little bit odd, uh but it's nice to see uh CJ Perry back with her husband. Yeah, get a little payday. Not wrong with that. Yeah. All right, from there, we switch gears. We get the only women's match on the main show here. Uh, Chris Statlander taking on Ruby Soho for the TBS Championship. 
course, the outcasts, uh, Soraya was in the corner of uh, Ruby Soho throughout the match, causing some distractions. I thought it was a little kind of a funny spot where uh, they meet on the outside and Soraya's causing a distraction. And she runs away, like, kind of oddly and frilly. And this is supposed to be a uh, tough Norwich girl who's the women's world champion. I thought that was just a little bit of an odd spot there. I must there. have missed that. So, I must have missed that myself. Yeah, but towards the end, we end up getting the interference is coming into play. Ruby wants to use the hairspray or the green spray paint. Tony Storm comes out from underneath the ring, takes it away, causes the distraction on Ruby, and ultimately leads to Chris Statlander winning the match. So much like an all-in London, we're playing up a little bit of a dissension in the ranks of the outcasts. So... We saw them together on Collision the night before, but we had this odd little bit of a booking. But yeah, Chris Statlander coming away with the win. I'm not understanding the Tony Storm psychosis change. Um, I feel like maybe I've missed something and I'm not interested enough to go back and figure out what it was. So this could, well could be lost on me um, by the time there is a payoff. Um, not a hundred percent sure what's going on with the outcast, but this match was fine. I love the Derek Zoolander references from uh, Chris Statlander. Love to see, love to see the fact that we had uh, Excalibur educating good old JR about uh, what um what blue steel was and everything. Um, yeah, this is this was fun. I'm a little bit disappointed it was the only women's match on the main part of the card. Uh, especially considering there's 10 matches we possibly could have fitted in Soraya there, but let's give her a week off. She just won the big, uh, the big, big belt. Um, but yeah, it was a good match. Yeah, it was one of those. Just the, the cliff notes are uh, Tony Storm sort of losing uh, a bit of fragility in her mind after losing the AEW Women's Championship and just kind of being a little bit of a, uh, I think Excalibur mentioned it on there. Her just her physical look and the way she's doing her hair is a throwback to those uh, golden age of the uh, the fifties and uh, stuff like that with uh, all the uh, the actresses and that. But the the type of character she's just she's just she's flustered. She can't believe it. She's awestruck. She's throwing shoes at people and it's just crazy. And so and the birds. I yeah, heard she was throwing shoes at birds in the car park from Ruby Soho. Yeah, yeah. I heard that one. Yeah, so she's kind of slowly losing her mind. I, I, I just, I'm liking it because it's so subtle. It's just a nice little flavoring text of the kind of character thing. Uh, she's being like more unhinged, but she's trying to hold it together and things. So that's just the cliff notes. Like. Maybe that's why I'm not getting it because like it started so subtly, and I'm just like I must have missed something that that kind of change started the change that's more what i mean is like i get i get the whole you know wanting to be a little bit crazy and a little bit psycho i actually prefer tony storm that way i think she's actually doing a really good job i just think that the turn is lost on me uh i'll just enjoy the outcome fair play so i'll make one small note i i would love to see that tony storm and juice robinson two unhinged characters also married in real life don't necessarily need to get together on screen but i'd love the probably the chaos that could happen in a fictional version of their household so she just turns up in a bullet club gold meeting one day and throws shoes at uh at uh cardboard jay white or what what is it um hardboard maybe 
no, no, it's, it's some it's something to do with the uh the Jay White cardboard statue. They like can't remember the name of it. It's so silly, but they all have nicknames and stuff. And um, yeah, I think she should just turn up to Bullet Club Gold meeting one day and start throwing shoes, and then just kiss rock hard and rock hard and then run off. There you go. So once again, switching gears on a completely different scale, we get the no disqualification strap match, the returning American Dragon, Brian Danielson taking on Ricky Starks. Of course, this was in place of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, who is on commentary for this. But all in all, just gotta say brutal, brutal match between Danielson and Starks. I mean, some of those strap shots were just the sound of them and the visual. And these guys going for broke. I mean, uh, we got Danielson getting color in that. I mean, it was just ridiculous. The welts we ended up seeing forming on Stark's back there. The little added element of uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat coming out to help neutralize a big bill was a nice little touch. We get the, the piece of Danielson not quite being a baby face, sort of aligning with a uh, ever apparent baby face in Steamboat. We still have him being kind of the heel because he's part of the BCC and he's just a brutal, you know, he wants to kick your Jeff and head in as he screams towards the end of the match. But yeah, I thought this was just, man, a bit of nasty there. And all in all, even though we get the, I guess, what they call a technical knockout or technical submission on starks because he passed out uh in the match itself but man i think just a strong showing from ricky uh in that and in a match with brian danielson and it's i think it's even though ricky took the loss it's a win overall for ricky to help raise his stock oh 100 definitely agree it was a brutal match um but a color um yeah, I thought it was I thought it was perfectly fine. I did like the brutality of it. Uh strap matches are always something that I sort of look at through the side eye because, you know, they they can be a bit um they can be a bit brutal. Um but I just uh I just don't understand PT. Yet again, this is another person that seems to just be a little bit unhinged without actually showing that they're unhinged. Brian Danielson coming out to the aid of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Um, I'm like, but you're a heel. You're doing a baby face thing. You're acting like a baby face. And then five minutes later in the main, main, main event, you're a heel again. I, I just... Maybe this flip floppity nature of the Brian Danielson character uh, is lost on me. Um, I would have just preferred Brian Danielson to have a different inroad to be doing this, although he did come out with the bandage still on his broken arm that has that metal rod in it. So <clears throat> maybe this was the uh, intended. Uh, the intended spot for that guy that got sacked at the start of the week. I think, yeah, I think it's a nature of a circumstance. I think we were hearing murmurings that the actual match was supposed to be Ricky and Punk together, uh, but unfortunately because of that, they slotted 
Brian Danielson in, which I mean, honestly, like I can't fault if if Brian was healthy enough to have. Well, it's a better match. match. Yeah, yeah. So oh, yeah, it's hundred percent. We got a better it, match so, yeah. out of it. I don't know about like that other guy. I hear he keeps getting injured all the effing time. Um, you know, he he just cannot hold on to uh, his his water at all. Um, and I think Ricky Starks would have completely demolished him anyway. So yeah, having Brian Danielson in this match is uh, is a hundred percent better. And uh, I loved the um. I loved the interview with Brian Danielson before this. The last time I was in a strap match, I was in a per- I was in that match with a person that I loved. Um, of course, referencing Bray Wyatt, Wyndham Rotunda, who we recently lost, uh, and he said we beat the absolute shit out of each other. And what do you think I'm going to do to you? And he did exactly that. Yeah, it was one of those where it just. Think it was a net positive all around for it. Uh, I do like the the chaotic nature of Danielson. He's uh, he gets cheered, comes out of the heel tunnel. Uh, he does some dastardly things. He wants to kick people's Jeff and head in. Uh, he's not above yeah. taking shortcuts, but he's you know he'll also like have a sort of a morality thing where he'll kind of stand up for you know mostly the things that are kind of uh, right, even though he is not ahead or will still be able to uh to attack people from behind. So when it's deep down, he can he can do the right thing, but he always doesn't choose to do the right thing. But yeah. Um and then one tiny note, I was afraid that they were gonna with strap matches, the rules are always never clear. Sometimes you gotta hit the four corner pads. But I'm glad they didn't decide to do that and just go with uh, you know, uh basically we ended up getting a submission. So I thought that was a cleaner rule set to have in this one. All right, next one here, Blackpool Combat Club, Claudio and Wheeler taking on Eddie Kingston and Katsuyori Shibata. Just going away, of course, just hard-hitting affair whenever you get a Kingston and a Shibata and a Blackpool Combat Club members. I did like that they waited to give us the Eddie Kingston and Claudio to the latter portion of the match, of course, with all their heat and everything. But yeah, just another just ridiculously just knockdown drag out with ultimately... Claudio and Wheeler coming away with the win. The next one here, Kanosuke Takeshita taking on Kenny Omega. Just, geez, highly athletic match, ridiculous. Of course, uh, nice little touch with Kenny's uh, attire there, the green, the orange, and the white shades of his attire from DDT, of course, where these two men have history. But yeah, just athleticism the the knee strikes the clotheslines the strikes themselves were ridiculous with uh that don Callis, i like that he didn't play too much of a role like it wasn't constant distraction it wasn't all this kind of thing he did have the spot on the outside piling up the chairs for the tope that kanosuke ultimately hit on kenny of course the screwdriver spot at the end uh was a little ridiculous the visual of him just stabbing the mat uh but Crazy to see that Kanosuke getting two pinfalls over Kenny Omega in a week's time. Man, great push for Kanosuke over here. I'm actually really liking it. I like Kanosuke a lot. There's a lot of upside to him. Um, I'm hoping... Uh, I was going to say hoping that this is a short-term thing. I, I don't know. I, I, I hope that this develops into something a little bit better for Kanosuke. Because... As much as Don Callis is that skeezy sort of um, manager character, 
he is, if I can compare him, he is no Paul Heyman. He's not this sort of like I create superstars in my mind. In my mind, he's he's sort of tagging himself on to greatness as opposed to being able to sort of elevate it like Paul Heyman seemingly does. Um, it's just one of those, uh, well, you know, with the exception of uh, Cesaro that one time. Um, but it's one of those things that you look at and you go, a lot of upside to Kanosuke, and it's a huge deal for him getting um, getting a win, a singles win over the best bite machine. I'm just glad you didn't mention Paul Heyman's partnership with a certain big guy who likes to be fed more and more and more. So I don't know. He's retired as well. There you go. <laughs> yeah, just overall, just crazy, just athletic match there. One of the longer matches on the card itself, over 20 minutes, and yeah, just great signaling for Kanosuke going forward to have those just pins over Kenny. So. Penultimate match here, Bullet Club Gold taking on the combined team of FTR and the Young Bucks. This was just ridiculously chaotic. Uh, we have, Of course, we're having the story of the match that a united Bullet Club Gold can just seamlessly go in and out, but FTR and the Young Bucks, obviously long-standing rivals, Trying to get along, the early portion seeing not being favorable to tag one another in, but the latter quarter of the match sees them finally get on the same page. I mean, we see the nice little combinations at one point. Dax is setting up for the pile driver, and Matt ends up coming in on to sit on Brett Rope to hit that spiked version. We get nice little combined tag team elements of uh, FTR and the Young Bucks doing super kick parties. At one point, I think it was Nick came in to help with the shatter machine. So it was cool to see the symmetry when they were able to kind of get on the same page. Of course, obviously, they're rivals themselves. But yeah, it was ultimately we get the pinfall or excuse me, the win for Bullet Club Gold on this one. And uh, Nick almost couldn't try to break up the uh, the pinfall there uh, on, uh, I believe it was Cash, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it might have been Dax, but either way. Uh, he was just late, so we had them kind of argue, but they didn't come to blows at the end. They were just kind of peeved. They were just sort of generally upset they lost the hard-fought match. It was one of those matches that it made sense, though. Um, I like the fact that we had that we always see the how will they coexist team win, and I hate that. Like you know, oh, how are we? How are they going to coexist and and sort of you know beat this team that's been together? It's like harken back to WWE throwing tag teams of of people together, like you know, let's say Stone Cold and Triple H, and them just winning the tag titles, like boys. These guys were rivals, and then you threw them together and they beat tag teams just because, oh, we're main event stars. So clearly we're the single, the singular portion of us is better than the singular of you. It's like, yeah, but these guys are, are, you know, they're a cohesive team. And the best thing about this was one of these teams beat the other team, and there's a sort of sort of admission of annoyance between them with the handshakes and stuff. So I really like this. Um, I also like the fact 
that it was, I believe it was Colton Gunn that got the pin. I was like, okay, cool. Like, that's that's huge. Like, that is absolutely huge for Colton Gunn to get the to get the pin. Um because this is one of those things that he is the uh least experienced out of the, the bunch. Like Austin not being much more experienced than him, but still. Um it wouldn't have said much if Jay White had have pinned Dax or anybody, you know. Uh, I really like this. I thought it was fun. Um, I continue to love the guns entrance. Um, the bullet club entrance on this one with everybody, you know, doing the, the bang, bang, gang and the spit in the water, I think is, is, is a fun visual. Yeah, really, really good. I can't wait to see um, where bullet club gold uh, goes after this. Yeah, a lot of positives coming out of that. I did like the, it's never fun when the trope of uh, two people that can't get along, like you said, can defeat a long-established and well-oiled machine tag team. So at least they didn't kind of go there. The other notion of, yeah, I believe it was, uh, I knew it was one of the guns, so Colton uh, getting the, the pin on a tag team champion. So that could lead to something. Also some positives for Bullet Club Gold as a cohesive unit. They looked really, really good and solid and just honestly the the two teams of uh jay and juice together with the guns i mean they just were just killing it and that's no slack oh, yeah. on ftr and uh, young bucks obviously who are great tag teams themselves yeah i i definitely can't take away from the fact that we had that really cool shatter machine uh, that you mentioned earlier on and the bte trigger even though dax looked at his watch as if it was clobbering time um the thing isn't part of this my guy it's fine um so it, it was it was fun i liked it there was the definite uh, competition versus camaraderie um and, and i can't wait to see where things go i i kind of want them the guns and and juice you know rock hard because i love i love saying that right? um going after the trios not saying it has to happen right now but I'd really like them to go after the trios and for, for now, Jay to go after the international title. We can have that. That'd be super fun. We could have Jay and Juice go after the tag titles. We could have the guns go after the tag titles. There's so much to do with this Bullet Club gold. Um, and uh, yeah, it's definitely something that uh, is uh, going to freshen up the tags or trios division. Yeah. Fantastic. Once again, great to uh, see the Bullet Club Gold get that push ski, much like Kanosuke in the previous match, getting the the win and kind of see where they go. And yeah, I mean, if we can get some more of that great entrance, I mean, we started with the, the two guns and then we added Juice as we circle to the back and then we have Jay at, obviously added to the to the front. So I mean, the symmetry is, is just great. Nice little entrance there. I mean, yeah, makes them feel like a big deal and they definitely cemented that fact here. All right, last match on the card, your main event of the evening. Orange Cassidy taking on John Moxley for the AW International Championship. Solid match. I mean, it goes from even before the match started, that promo of John, I believe, which took place on Collision, putting over, putting over Orange. I mean, he's, you know... Everyone's calling this guy a cosplayer of being a wrestler, but, you know, who is he cosplaying? I mean, this guy's just, you know, it's one of those things. Moxley is just such a great piece, especially, you know, 
no slack to the Dean Ambrose character, but the John Moxley, especially like in the last year or so, especially uh, the uh, Blackpool Combat Club, John Moxley, when he's facing off or he has a match and he gets a chance to do a promo, and he's putting you over. I mean, he does it in such an elegant way that you can't necessarily argue with the things he says. Like, you know, uh, who is he? This guy's a wrestler, right? <laughs> he has been defending. He has been putting on matches. Yes, he's been beaten down, but he's been overcoming the odds. And now it's me. It's my time. I want a shot at him. I've been feuding with him, the Saturn of third. You know, I've been AEW champion, you know, uh, but I want this title. I mean, like, he's just giving you a reason as to why you can't discount him. And it was makes it reminds me of this is the way you should do a promo to hype up, hype up your opponent specifically. Because if you do the opposite, this guy's a slack. Is I, you know, I can beat him in ten seconds and send third, and you put him down, it means nothing. But if this guy beats you, then you know what does that say? You know, you make them feel important, hype the match up. It's just great. So, quick note before the match even got started, you made it feel important. Oh, a hundred percent, yeah. On WWE, take note. This is how you make a mid card title important. Uh, because this was the AEW Irish Seas English Channel All Access, you know, side side international championship. Like we were making fun of this name because it just felt, even though it was held by Pac, who was elevating it, it wasn't being given the sort of prestige that they eventually cultivated with Orange. I'm not saying Pac's run was bad. Pac's run was really, really good. And the fact that he put on a barn burner of a match with Orange Cassidy to begin this 31 and 0 uh, streak that he had, culminating in the 31 and 1, like he is the winningest male uh, competitor in AEW. Like he has the best record for any champion. And yeah, like John Moxley putting this guy over is in harsh contrast to a match I'm I'm hard, I'm reminded of. The Mimosa match with John Moxley, or not John Moxley, Chris Jericho, um, all those years ago. Like, that was a match where Chris Jericho tore him down and underestimated him. And, you know, the, the build of those matches was, was you know, Jericho just laughing at, at Orange and, and putting him down, and Orange splashing him with orange juice and ruining a $40,000 uh, jacket or whatever it was. Um, but sure enough, Chris Jericho was upset. He was surprised by this upstart, um, this cause player. Um, and I loved the fact that Moxley went and was like, he looks like the real thing to me. And then he's, he's just like, don't disappoint us. We're expecting great things. And he said we, as in, you know, me included. We. And I just loved this promo from Moxley. I thought it was it was powerful and it's sort of put into my mind, even though like beforehand I was like, okay, cool. We're having, you know, Moxley have the international title. This promo put it into my head. Cassidy could do big things if he beats Moxley here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's have Cassidy win this match. And then Moxley won the match. And I was like, oh, well, I'm not surprised. You know, I think I would have been surprised if Cassidy had it retained. And I would have been excited for that, but I'm not surprised Moxley won, and I'm very impressed with the match that they put on. 
Yeah, absolutely. Just even before we got into the match, I mean, yeah, like we said, John just putting it over and fantastic promo. And even Cassidy just showing some babyface fire and actually cutting a promo. I mean, I think it just added a lot to it, made it have a big, big match feel. So, I mean, and the performance we'll get into in a second, just, yeah, incredibly for and feel like just deserve to main event, honestly, like one of AW's biggest shows of the year. Oh, 100%. Loved it. So we get into the, the entrance. Great to see the entire BCC together. Um, up until this point, we're seeing three victories, excuse me, two victories for three men of the BCC coming into this match, United Front, uh, Cassidy, being walked from the back alongside the best friends and Chris Stratlander, excuse me. But once, yeah, we get into the match itself. Both men just showing out. I mean, we get the story of Orange, obviously, as the rain continues, uh, 31 defenses up into this point, uh, successful defenses as well, just being beaten down and it's taking its toll. His back, his, uh, his hand, you know, the orange punch isn't as strong as it has been, the shoulders, the neck. You know, all those things you're seeing, the kinesio tape on him, it's much more of a uh, walking wounded, and, and he's been able to overcome all these odds. So furthermore to the point of him just being great character work and, and well, like we said, elevating this title, but ultimately it finally catches up with him. I mean, we get towards the end, we get that, just the visual of a bloody Orange Cassidy, I mean, the color this guy gets in, I mean, it almost, there's parts of him that turn orange, I mean, it's apropos, but the visual of a bloody uh, Cassidy kicking out of a Death Rider, that first one, it was like shocked uh, John Moxley as well, and then we get the, ultimately, at the end, you know, uh, another uh, Death Rider just seals the deal, and, and, you know, kind of orange just trying to reach, and it, ultimately, John comes away with the victory, like we stated before, of course, the the notion of having a three-time former world champion in AEW alone wanting to go after this international title. I mean, you said it. Pac had a solid reign and helped elevate it, defended it internationally. The crazy, ridiculous reign of Orange Cassidy, 32 defenses, 31-1, and one, over 326 days. I mean... To be fair, I think this is one that you can now say it's you have the world title and the AW sort of secondary intercontinental-esque title is now the international title ahead of the TNT championship, I think is a fair thing to say. The, the TNT booking has helped that along immensely um, because it, the TNT booking doesn't exist. I think they let one of the interns do it and that guy has not been employed for at least eight months. so. Um, whoever is booking the international title, kudos. Uh, this is probably uh, how the TNT title should be booked, uh, not passed along by Hot Potato. Um, and also, big kudos to John Moxley for finishing a match without gigging, uh, without getting color himself. Uh, congratulations, buddy. You won a title and did not wear a crimson mask. It, it, it's it's rare, John, that we see that. Um, Joking aside, I thought that that was also a really, really good touch that we've seen blood on Orange Cassidy. This this guy who has had to has had so many wars. The kinesio tape out the wazoo. The 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 commentator saying yes, the orange punches is, is not as strong as it used to be with the injuries to the hand, the strap around the hand. 
And we've seen that in the match, the orange punch, the John kicking out of that, easy. Um, but some of my favorite moments, there's two of my favorite moments, both Orange Cassidy's, um, with Orange, the orange kicks getting more and more violent and, you know, thrust kicks eventually coming in there and knocking the pan out of John Moxley. I loved it. Seeing the, the sort of the I am Orange Cassidy and I do not have a catchphrase, just sort of, which is going to become his catchphrase. Um, ironically enough and it's he's beating the tar out of the 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 guy who invented death jutsu um and then at the very end like john moxley about to to, to do the hit the death rider hands go up i think it's going to be the hands in the pocket spot one last time he just flips a double bird and that was all, you know, that was all the fat lady needed to sing about Orange Cassidy. I thought that was a fantastic end to a title match. A defiant champion going out and putting on such a match that um, he has been in a loss to a three-time AEW World Heavyweight title, has been elevated to a potentially main event scene where eventually he could hold that AEW World Heavyweight title himself. And I don't think that's obscene to ask for because this man just put on a banger of a match with John Bloody Moxley. And yeah, that's pretty much all that needs to be said about freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy. Yeah, fantastic showing from Orange here, of course. Obviously, the work that he's put in before he got the championship uh, and then the subsequent reign that he's put on there and this match, much like a Ricky Starks and Daniel Bryan, uh, excuse me, Bryan Danielson match earlier where Ricky ended up taking the loss. This is a great showing and great piece to help elevate him to whatever he may go on to next, perhaps. Uh, challenging again for the AEW World Championship. We've seen him challenge once before, but yeah, it's just fantastic, and you love to see it. Great showing. At the end, we get uh, Moxley just going up the ramp with the rest of the BCC. BCC, all winners on this night. We went up the ramp, gave Orange Cassidy the ring to let him get his flowers, give him appreciation, have his moment for the incredible reign that he has, and it ends the show on that. So, I mean... Honestly, there was a lot of contention because we had just two back-to-back weekends with big high-profile shows. Obviously, you're all in London, and then your perennial all-out that happens every year. Some folks were maybe underestimating this show, and there may be... Whether you believe it or not, that some matches may should not have even been on this card itself. I think the net positive from what we got out of this show definitely was a positive, to be sure. Um, some folks were saying just, you know, this was a fantastic pay-per-view overall. Again, be that as it may, we got to see a little bit more of the Ring of Honor championships on here, which is, of course, probably a caveat that even Tony Khan mentioned on the post-show media scrum that, you know, we tried to fit essentially two pay-per-views worth of 
matches and and builds and such into a back-to-back weekend so maybe that's something that is a victim of circumstance but honestly like the uh the roh tag team match was fun and engaging we got a big beefy boy match for the roh television championship love me some joe i'm not going to argue if we have a joe match on a, on a television show or pay-per-view i won't you know i won't scoff at that but yeah i think uh to wind down my point you know maybe a little underestimated but solid solid show to be sure i think it was fair to say Oh, 100%. Um, another way to, to sort of fix this is not to have 13 matches on a card, TK. I'm not going to lie, buddy, but, you know, we, we have, um, you know, WWE do a PLE a month. Yes, 100%. So they can get away with six matches on a card. 68 is their thing, except WrestleMania. But this is your second in a week. And you had 13 matches, I think, on both cards. There was a lot of wrestling going on in your company. And you said you had trouble filling these? Like, my guy, you don't need to have double-digit matches in these. Like, this could have gotten away with nine matches. I can look at this and and think of at least three to four matches that I didn't really care for and probably could have been taken off there. Um, so it, it's, it's not something you need to strive for. Um, despite what he says in, in, a, recent, in, a, in a recent tweet uh, about his, his comments, that, that um, he doesn't really pay attention to people complaining about the build because when, when they put on a really good uh, pay-per-view. Um, yeah, no one has confidence in your pay-per-view beforehand. And that's where the complaints come because you are too busy trying to have so many matches on this card and yet you had 81,000, however many people the previous week also worrying, well, hmm, three weeks out... Who's on this card that I've paid a lot of money to watch this pay-per-view at, at Wembley? Um, the the sort of last-minute style booking that TK has, has become synonymous with this last year um, doesn't sit well with me, uh, regardless of whether or not he puts on a good pay-per-view, uh, because he doesn't always hit it uh this was one of the good ones i i'm you know all in was good all out was good but you can't rest on your laurels just because this has happened like i don't i don't know tk the build does also kind of build my enjoyment of the matches you cannot just throw out a John Moxley and Orange Cassidy match and expect everybody to love it because John Moxley and Orange Cassidy are there. That's why we build new stars. Danny Garcia should have been on this card somewhere. I love that kid. He should have been on this card in a singles match. He should be being pushed more often. I love him. He's fantastic. And this stupid sports entertainment dance gimmick that he has has me laughing all the way to the bank. That man needs his chops tested in building a series with someone. All of these individuals need to be able to build a match with someone. The Miro Powerhouse Hobbs match, I mean, it had build, if you can call that a build, but it, it could have been cut. It honestly could have been cut from this card. So could the Joe and Shane Taylor match. 
I loved both of these matches, but both of these matches could have been cut. With how we treat the TNT title, the Luchasaurus match could have been cut. No one would have mattered. With how TK treats the, the women in this, uh, in this company, I'm surprised there was a women's match on the main card. Um, you know, obviously with the, the fact that we had Bullet Club Gold and uh, FTR and Young Bucks all together, I'm like, surprised they got such a long time. 21 and a half minutes. I could have been cut in half. That's a tag match. Like, all of these things, obviously I'm being facetious with some of these and sarcastic for a lot of them, but, you know, just try and listen to the fans in sense of yes, you have the talent that will put on good matches, but we want to build our expectation to watch those matches. That's what you're building. You're not building some sort of storyline. That is a secondary byproduct. You're building the expectation of the fans. And that's what needs to be done more regularly for AEW pay-per-views. We've talked about it before. That the And you talked about the last minute portion of it yeah we try to do in the past we tried to do sort of like builds or try to give some predictions and such but yeah we try to wait as long as possible but then there would be four or five matches announced what was it used to be the the rampage right before or now it's maybe collision it's a challenge right you can have matches be put on that might be underestimated and then show up and show out aka Miro and a Hobbs, right? May not have the greatest build, but it has, you know, maybe a minuscule build and then over delivered. So I'm agreeing you you want to be invested, not just be pleasantly surprised that these guys put on great performances. Be that as it may, you know, can we continue to do better? Of course we can. And, you know, it's just TK even mentioned on the post uh show Meteor Scrum that maybe having somebody uh, closely aligned with him and he had brian danielson fly with him for a couple weeks and brian was like i can't keep the schedule we end up having jimmy jacobs as a sort of quasi sort of assistant or second in command to kind of just help keep tk organized and maybe uh just bounce ideas off of and, and kind of do these things so i mean again maybe if it's even something that or he tk's possibly talked about like a booking committee in china help take things off his plate He's got so much, his, his stats company, the, the Jags, the, the football, uh, soccer, right, as well. And he's got so many, and he's, he's doing the, the AW thing. So he's got a lot to, on his plate. And, you know, having a little help here or there, I know, you know, I could probably use some help from time to time. It's never a bad thing. But, yeah, I agree that could have some of the matches underestimated or possibly even been cut or just put on a uh, a dynamite rampage or a collision sure but they were put on here and like we said overestimated themselves did a good job there were some fair criticisms but there's some positives to be taken away no show is going to be perfect but overall this was a decent pay-per-view we got the next one wrestle dream in about a month's time this is going to be a little bit of a a different style of pay-per-view to honor Antonio Inoki. Uh, TK has mentioned that he might want to have uh, New Japan involved with it, perhaps stardom as well. So it's maybe not your uh, standard AEW pay-per-view. 
And then subsequently down the line, we're going to have a full gear. So hopefully if that's going to be a proper AEW pay-per-view, we can have some strong builds and a little bit more of a investment from the fans going in as opposed to being pleasantly surprised by the outcome of the pay-per-view. I completely agree. Yep. Appreciate everybody this far. So those were our thoughts on AEW All Out. Let us know down in the comment section below on YouTube or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram. Let us know what your thoughts are on AEW All Out, the show itself, what some of your favorite matches were, did your favorites win, and what was your favorite moment from the show? All right. Lots of things we covered here, uh, two pay-per-views, some obvious news there, but yeah, overall, quite a hectic week, but I feel like the tail end, the weekend with the pay-per-views definitely delivered in spite of a lot of things going on in the wrestling world, so I mean, honestly, you can't, uh, you can't knock for having a wrestling-filled weekend. You really can't. I mean... Uh... Maybe you can because it's a lot of wrestling uh, to catch up on, but that's first world problems. Um, I really enjoyed the fact that we got three pay-per-views in short succession, but please let's not make it a regular thing. That is kind of a lot of wrestling to sort of keep up on. Yeah, I believe TK may want to keep the all-in London portion on that bank holiday, and of course the next weekend here in the States is Labor Day, so we had Labor a Day, yeah. yeah, so we had a big long weekend with that too. So that's when traditionally the all out has been there around that first weekend, that Labor Day holiday in the States. So maybe that could potentially be slated for next year. I don't know when it comes to the WWE pay-per-view in the late August, early September. Could play into that, because obviously we had a little extra one with that, the payback, but be that as it may. Like you said, first world problems. We get to have a lot of wrestling. We had, I mean, geez, you, you look at the, the weekend there. Friday was the SmackDown and the Rampage. Saturday was the Collision and the Payback. Sunday was All Out. Lots of hours of wrestling, again, for the folks that help uh, critique and, and watch it and give their thoughts. Lots of work <laughs> to be shared, for sure. But again, first world problems, so it is what it is. Hopefully you all enjoyed at least something coming out of this weekend. We had a lot on our plate, so maybe there's a positive there. Definitely shared with us. Let us know down in the comment section below. But yeah, I think overall we're looking forward to the next portions. Like we said, we have some more regularly scheduled programming from the WWE and AEW with the next major uh, show coming up would be Wrestle Dream for AEW. And, uh, and of course, an wwe pay-per-view uh most likely being we're in the beginning of september so probably early august i'll check back in there with that as well but yeah so hopefully it's a little spread out we can catch our breath but yeah ultimately thank you everybody for another longer episode appreciate everybody sticking with us for listening and watching thank you all for the support on the youtube side for the audio downloads thank you very much we're going to wind down on out of here. So, for TF Joker. Thank you very much for watching, listening, supporting, and more importantly, 
not acting like a jackass. You love to see it. And for me, Pretty Tony, we thank you for your time letting us be a part of your day. And remember, be good to yourself, be good to each other. We'll catch you next time. Peace.